a couple of weeks ago, I introduced a new mission statement that was Wentworth Baptist Church exists to invite all people to know Christ, grow in Christ, and go with Christ by living lives marked with faith, hope, and love. And as a church, for uh, the last couple of years, we've talked about the values that we have and trying to articulate those values. And we introduced a whole bunch that are related to those three words at the end, faith, hope, and love. And our values are practices, not just um, sort of ethereal or uh, uh, ideas that you can't really grasp hold of, but practices that we want to engage in as a community. And then we can gauge our faithfulness to this mission of knowing Christ, growing in Christ, and going with Christ according to how we practice the values that we say are important to us. And so the value for prayer, one of the first values that we're taking a look at is, is, is prayer. Um, and prayer is one of the ways that our faith can be expressed on a day-to-day -day basis, just like the other values. But prayer in particular is really pr the primary work of God's people. It is the work that must be done at the same time as all the other work. So we do more than just pray, but we don't do less than pray. We do a lot more than praying, but we can't do less than praying. It's, it's important. It's important to ministry. It's important to the, the mission of God's church because we're partnering with God and that partnership involves relationship with God, spending time with him. And so, like we talked about in past weeks, every single week that we're taking a look at values, there will be a faith in practice challenge. A challenge at the end of the sermons that will ask you to, uh, to put your faith into practice, to actually do, to, to, to put the value that we're talking about into practice within your life, to actually doing it, or at least striving to do it, attempting to do it. Now, if you failed at it this past week, don't worry. There's no shame or guilt. Um, building habits takes a very long time. And so if you're trying to build a habit of doing these challenges, it's actually going to take a couple of months of you tr doing it and trying to do it and failing at doing it um, to be able to, to build up that that habit. So you can hit the reset button every single Sunday and say, okay, I failed it this past week, but I'm going to recommit myself to committing the faith and practice challenge this week. And by doing that and actually striving and, and making little changes week to week to ensure that you're able to do the challenges or at least par parts of the challenges each week, you'll be able to grow that habit. And in doing that, grow your faith as well. And so the challenge is coming at the end of the sermon. If you missed it last week, um, you can put it aside and just focus on this week and doing this week's challenge, which is all about prayer. <clears throat> in, particular, in particular, the Lord's Prayer. We're going to take a look at the prayer that Jesus gave us to pray. Now, prayer is really a conversation with God. It's, it's this relational time with Jesus. It's sitting down with Jesus with a cup of coffee and catching up, but it's, but it's more than that because God 
is the creator of the universe. Jesus is our Savior and our Lord. And so prayer is relational in the same way that you would have a relationship with a friend or a family member, but that relationship goes so much deeper and is so much, uh, so much more full than that. And because of that, sometimes I think that we approach prayer with an agenda. We approach God with an agenda. We know God is the creator of the universe. We know that God um, is, is sovereign, is Lord. And so we go to him and say, you know what? You're the Lord of the universe, so you should give me this thing that I want. You should, uh, you should do this certain thing in the world because I hope that it happens. We say, I deserve this thing to happen in my life, so you should make sure that it happens, God. And on and on it goes. But God, it's sort of treating like God is a slot machine. Of saying, well, I'm just going to go up and try, hedge my bets and try to, uh, to get what I want out of God. And then we get disappointed because we don't get what we want. Because prayer is actually not concerned with us. It's, prayer is about God, which we're going to see in the Lord's Prayer today. But God wants, it, God wants our experience of prayer to be so much more than just a, a, a wooden exchange of us to Him. He wants it to be an opportunity for our transformation into us growing into more Christ-like people to be transformed into more Jesus-y people, you could say, to, to, which means doing the Father's will and living our lives on earth as we're going to live them in heaven in so much as that is possible. And so the question becomes, I think, well then, how do we pray? What is prayer and how do we do it? It can be awkward. It can be distracting. Um, and oftentimes I think we're not quite sure that we're doing it right, <laughs> right? <laughs> Especially if you're with another group, with a group of people, it can be really intimidating, but I think Jesus helps us overcome some of this awkwardness because he helped his disciples overcome some of the awkwardness. If you can imagine you're, di- you're a disciple, let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11. We're just going to take a look at these first, uh, this first pericope, the first section of the text that's all about prayer. Luke chapter 11. And put yourself in the mind of the disciples. You've been following Jesus um, and, and you've been taught how to pray since you were a child. Your rabbis, your religious leaders have taught you to pray. Your parents have taught you to pray. You have, been, you have prayed in temple uh, for for decades, you know how to pray, or you think you know how to pray. And then what happens? It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? These people who have prayed their entire lives heard Jesus pray and said, boy, we want to pray like that. We want to pray like that. Jesus comes along 
And for the disciples, if Jesus is who he says he is, then the way he prays is the way you ought to pray. And so they looked at their childhood, they looked at the way that they've been taught to pray, which was very repetitive, it was set prayers, it was pray this prayer at this part of the day and this one at this other part of the day and another one and another part of the day and just go through the routine of reciting these prayers over and over and over again as sort of a moral foundation and, and to build a moral foundation for you and a, and a foundation of faith. And that is good um, to a point. And the, but the disciples saw Jesus, uh, Jesus praying and said, boy, you, you're praying differently and we want to learn how to do that. We want to learn what you think prayer is so that we can pray as you pray. So show us, Jesus, how ought we pray. Teach us how to pray. You know, we're in good company if we feel awkward about prayer because the disciples heard Jesus praying and said, Whoa, boy, we don't know how to pray. We need to be taught how to. And this is interesting too. Oftentimes we don't think of prayer as something that needs to be, that we need to be taught necessarily. Or if it is, we're very afraid to say it, or we'd get offended if somebody suggested it. But this, uh, but this shows a, a certain level of maturity for the disciples to be able to say, you know what, we realize that there's a deficiency here, and we want to see this deficiency taken care of. So Lord, teach us how to pray. And we can do this in our own lives. If we know somebody who is a, a, a really faithful prayer warrior, who is someone who is close to the Lord, who prays often, we can go to them and say, hey, could you teach me how to pray? Could I pray with you and learn from you by praying with you? There's nothing stopping us other than fear. But I think if we overcame that fear, we would grow in our capacity for prayer um, way more than we could possibly imagine. Anyways. It's interesting that Jesus takes them up on their on their suggestion they, they, the, the disciples say lord teach us to pray and he says okay i'm going to do that but he doesn't give a formula he doesn't give a formula for getting what we want he doesn't give a formula to say here are the exact words that you must pray every single time instead he teaches them a prayer that recalibrates their expectations recalibrates their faith every time they think about it so that they can live faithfully in the world after they have prayed. This is a really groundbreaking prayer. This is a prayer that when we think about it, when we pray about it, when we pray through it, when we recite it, it should recalibrate our minds so that we can live more faithfully as Jesus followers in the day-to-dayness of our lives. So Jesus begins saying, when you pray, say, Father, not dear God, not dear Jesus. There's no sense of formality. He doesn't speak of God in an abstract sort of way, like God is just a thing. Instead, Jesus treats God like a person, but even more than that says, you you should talk to God in relational terms. You should treat him as your father. And this makes sense because in Christ, we are adopted into God's family. We're adopted into 
sonship and daughtership. And so Jesus is really saying, you know, the uncreated creator wants a relationship with his creation and will do whatever it takes to ensure that that relationship is possible. And so when we're adopted into God's family, we then call him father, not God. As a, uh, it sort of signifies the, the depth of relationship that we have with him. And so we pray, Father, hallowed is your name. Hallowed be your name, excuse me. Hallowed be your name. Not only is God our Father who we're in relationship with, but the prayer itself reminds us that God is holy and that his name is holy. That's what hallowed means. Holy be your name. Hallowed be your name. May your name be set apart from all other names that could be that could ever be spoken. But of course, the Lord's name is set apart. It already is. So what is this prayer actually about? We're praying that, the, that his name continues to be set apart, but by very nature, God is set apart from creation. And so what is this about? This is a declaration of who God is. God is not just our Father. God is holy. God is set apart from us from creation as the creator of the universe. These two juxtapose one another in, in some sense to immediately jolt us away from thinking of God as a vending machine. Because God is both our relational father and also the creator of the universe, the creator of, of the heavens and the earth and, and, <clears throat> and is holy, is set apart. And so when we say, holy is your name, this should make us stop to think of who this Lord actually is. This is an invitation to name who God is, to name the character of God, to, to say you are set apart and holy and we are not, and then to recalibrate ourselves in our own thinking to lessen our pride and to recalibrate our hearts to be uh, focused more on Jesus and the grace that, the, that God provides for us. This is the Lord that we pray to, a Lord that is set apart, our Father, who lives in heaven, who is totally different from us, but who created us in his image and invites us into relationship with himself. That is the God that we worship. And so when we say, Father, hallowed be your name, it's a reminder that God is our Father, that God is holy. And in a sense, because we're his family, we're his sons and daughters, we carry his name with us. And so to pray, hallowed be your name, is to also pray, help me keep your name hollow in the world. Help me to show how your name is holy by the way that I live. This should all be a reminder and recalibration for us. The next line, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. Our God is our father, our God is holy, and our God is king. When you live in a kingdom, you are ruled by a monarch 
whose will is the law. You live according to the will of that monarch. What that monarch says goes. It happens. And so when we say, your kingdom come, we're confessing, first off, that we are citizens of God's kingdom. This is implicit in the statement. But if we're citizens of God's kingdom, if we want his kingdom to come, it means that we live under his rule and his reign, which is a relational rule and reign. It's not geographic. It's relational. God rules and reigns over hearts, not lands. And so to pray your kingdom come is actually to pray as well that the Lord's will be done because that is that's what it means to live in a kingdom and because God's reign is relational I think sometimes we can think of the kingdom of God in such grandiose world-sized scopes that we lose sight of what it means for us uh, on a day to day and it can crush us it can it can just fill our minds with too many things but the next verse, I think, will recalibrate this for us a little bit. But I think it's really helpful for us to just focus on ourselves and today. How are we living as citizens of God's kingdom day to day? Where, we could ask, does God want his will done in your life today? Not in a month from now, not in 10 years from now, not in the future far off today. How does God want his will to be done in your life today? Where does God want his kingdom to break into your life today? Today. If you ask God that question, I'm sure he will give you an answer. You might not like it. It might be really hard for you. Because it's going to involve surgery and transformation but you'll get an answer. And if you want to pray the Lord's Prayer, you have to be ready for that answer because that's part of what praying this prayer is all about. Asking for God's kingdom to come is for his will to be done and not mine and not yours. His will above all others. Which means that his will needs to be done in my, in my life today. His will needs to direct my life today. And his kingdom needs to break through in my life today and so where are those places for you where god's will needs to be done and his kingdom needs to break through are there particular relationships that need reconciliation do you need to recalibrate how you spend your money or your time maybe you know what god's will is but you just don't want to do it and need to repent. You need to turn back towards him rather than away from him. Or maybe you don't know God's will and you need to learn, which happens through scripture, reading scripture and praying and committing to community. Where does God want his kingdom to break through in your life today? But we see this todayness come through in the next verse. Give us each day our daily bread. Daily bread being the amount of bread that we need today, just, the, just, for, just for today, is just enough to live. 
it's taking on, it's taking from uh, a, the story a story from the Exodus where the people of God were traveling through the desert and they needed food and so God sent manna from heaven that they gathered up and He told them you can gather up enough for the one for just for today, but if you gather too much, if you are if you if if you're gluttonous, you just gather more than you need, the food's going to go bad. And so that's what some of them do. They, they gather too much, the food goes bad. But this manna from heaven is a great picture for what the Lord provides for us. He often just provides for what we need, not what we want. Because oftentimes we want more than we need. And so this prayer says, okay, focus on what you need to survive. Nothing more, nothing less, just what you need. And keep that at the front of your prayers not looking to the future and saying, I want a, well, we're in Hamilton. At, I was going to say a million dollar house, but that's actually just a regular house price in Hamilton somehow. My goodness. So two million. I want that two million dollar mansion one day. Well, if you pray that in the context of the Lord's prayer, guess what's, guess what's never going to be answered? That prayer. Because it's not about your daily need. That's about your uh, that's a, that's about a, a desire that actually might not be aligned with God's will, in fact. Matthew makes this a little bit clearer. In Matthew's gospel, he says, give us today our daily bread. This is what Jesus teaches his disciples. And this is important because we can, I, I think we often miss us, this focus on todayness. Jesus teaches his disciples in Matthew to focus on today and not to worry about tomorrow. Actually, in another part of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter um, five through seven, Jesus says, don't worry about tomorrow. It's going to bring worries of its own. Just worry about today and bring your worries to God. When we come to God in prayer, it's not improper to bring long-term prayer requests that are looking far into the future. But it does become improper when that's all we ever bring. God doesn't just want us to give us, to, to, to have a relationship based on what we think we want or need far into the future. He wants us to come to him and say, here are my daily needs today and seek for dependence on him on a day-to-day -day basis. If we're never bringing the concerns of today to him, I think that actually we miss a great, we, we miss opportunity after opportunity of being able to see him at work in our lives. And actually, we we're sort of giving up our partnership with him as well. God's partnership assumes uh, that we continue to partner with him day by day. But if that partnership is just Every once in a while, we pray big prayers. We're never going to see anything happen. Or if we do see something happen, it's going to be negative, And we're going to say, "Wow, well, God, why didn't you answer my prayers? I'm going to give you a, a, an example for this week. Um, so I have, a, I have a paper due at the end of the week. So next Sunday, I have a paper due. If I prayed every day, Lord, help me finish my paper. Help me finish my paper. And I pray that every single day but I do no work on, any, on the paper until, until the day it's due. Will the Lord help me finish that paper? 
Maybe, but it's not going to be very good because I haven't partnered with him in the creation of it. I haven't partnered with him in the work of, 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 of writing. The Lord has given me, uh, given me and you minds and hands and bodies and, and all the tools that we need to do his will in the world. And, and most of all, his spirit to illuminate our minds and our hearts to his, uh, to his message and his will. If we pray prayers that are long off and not prayers that are, that are focused on today, boy, we're going we're gonna to put ourselves into places where we won't see God's will done in the way that God wants. Well, that, that, that we won't see God's will done. It would be better, in fact, for me to say every single day to pray, Lord, help me to finish a part of this paper today. Give me the creativity. Give me the perseverance to finish a part of this paper today and every single day write a little bit of the paper until Sunday when when then I can pray oh help me finish this paper but by then finishing is maybe just a page rather than 20. Praying in little bits for your daily needs every single day can help you better partner with God can actually prepare you for those times when he will move through you by his spirit to impact the world with the gospel. So when we pray for our daily bread, we pray for today's daily bread. We give thanks for it, we praise God for it, and we leave tomorrow's daily bread for tomorrow. And then in verse 4, forgive us our sins, for we have also forgiven everyone who sins against us. And this is often the part of the prayer that we find the hardest, I think. If you have known the Lord's Prayer for any length of time, this is the part that maybe, maybe actually you don't really like. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven others. This is a prayer request with a catch, isn't it? <laughs> and what's it, what is it saying? It's saying, forgive me to the same degree that I have forgiven other people. And what it will show within our hearts is whether we're asking things from God that we wouldn't want God to give other people, which is to reveal ourselves as hypocrites. It's to reveal ourselves as hypocrites. But we don't realize, I think, and I, I don't think, I think the devil doesn't want us to realize that we don't forgive because other people deserve it. We forgive because we've been forgiven by God. We don't forgive people because they deserve our forgiveness. We forgive because we didn't deserve forgiveness and God still offered it to us. That's why we forgive. There's a point to this. This is this is this is an an inaction of the God. This is this is the gospel informing how we live on a day-to-day -day basis. If Jesus has paid the penalty for our sin, has offered us forgiveness and grace, how then can we go to another person and say, I'm going to withhold forgiveness, I'm going to withhold grace, and you will never be able to repay the debt that we have because of your sin. 
Jesus has already covered it. Jesus has paid the debt. Jesus has given us a message of reconciliation. And so how can, be, how can we be reconciled with others if we withhold everything that the Lord has given us to be able to share with others? We forgive people even when they don't know it. And it releases both them and us from the weight of that debt that they owe because of their sin. Now, don't get me wrong. Forgiveness doesn't mean a relationship goes back to the way it was. Forgiveness does not mean that a relationship goes back to the way it was. That could be ill-advised or awkward. More particularly, sometimes we have relationships where it would be dangerous for things to go back to the way they were. It would be stupid for us to engage in a relationship in, in, in a way that puts us into harm on a consistent basis. Forgiveness doesn't mean going back to the way things were, but it does mean that we release others from the debt of their sin so that when, Lord willing, they come to their senses and realize that they have sinned, they can come to us and we can be an instrument of God's reconciliation to them and, and announce over them, your sins are forgiven. We can say, I have forgiven you, and so has Jesus. Your sins are forgiven, so go in peace. And at least for one life in one moment, then, we can bring this small bit of heaven into the earth. And the final line Jesus teaches for this prayer, lead us not into temptation. That is, lead us not into testing, into being enticed towards sin. Our holy God does not entice us into sin or towards sin. He invites us towards righteousness. God does not entice us towards sin. He invites us towards righteousness. He invites us to live lives of holiness, of, of right relationship with himself, with ourselves, and with others. Um, God invites us to, to, to live like Jesus and then empowers us to do so by his spirit. Lead us not into temptation. Lead us not into being enticed towards sin. Gives us a reminder that the Lord doesn't do that. And when we're feeling enticed towards sin, we can know that that's the devil's doing and we should flee from it as fast as we can. And so Jesus goes on after giving this, these, this really just a couple of verses on prayer to describe prayer through parables. And these parables, um, well, I'll just read them and, and give a small comment at the end of each. Starting in verse 5, Then Jesus said to them, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. 
And suppose the one inside says, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. And this is interesting, right? He's, uh, there's two things happening in this parable. The first is that this friend gets up in the middle of the night, goes to their neighbor and says, I need bread, but it's not for them. It's to be able to bless and serve others. Sometimes our daily bread can be like that. We can receive all that we need, but all that we need is actually also being able to share from our abundance with other people who, who, who are in need as well, who are praying, Lord, give us our daily bread. And so we can be partners with Jesus in giving daily bread to others, which is really interesting. And that's what's happening in this parable. But the other thing that's happening with it is in verse 8. He says, it's not because of your friendship that this, uh, this neighbor is going to give you this bread, but because of your shameless audacity your shameless audacity. Um, another way of describing this is your, your lack of sensitivity to appropriateness. Your lack of sensitivity to appropriateness. It would be like getting up in the middle of the night, going to your neighbors and knocking on the door incessantly until somebody answers and gives you what you want. And Jesus says, this is how you should pray. <laughs> because if you go to God and knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and knock and ask and ask and ask and ask, He says, you are going to get what you ask for. He will give it to you. If we're given bread by our neighbors when we do this, how much more will God give to us when we do it to him? And then he goes on with another. uh, Well, and then he describes it. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened for you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks the door will be opened and so knock with shameless audacity pray this prayer with shameless audacity declaring that god is our father declaring his holiness asking for his kingdom of to come and to give us daily bread and to forgive us and lead us away from temptation and towards righteousness if we go to our lord and pray those things incessantly we will see our prayers answered And then there's another parable, which you can read um, on your own from 11, verse 11 through 13. Let's, let's jump to the end, or back to the beginning of the prayer. This prayer, each sentence, each clause, is really an invitation for us. This prayer is an invitation to know God, to declare who God is, to see God's kingdom come, to forgive and be forgiven, and to be led towards righteousness rather than sin. And so for the challenge this week is actually to take up the invitation of this prayer and to um, to, to use it as our template for prayer every day this week. The challenge this week is use the Lord's Prayer as a guide for your prayer time this week. And there are a couple of things that you can do to help you with this. Number one, pick a time. Number two, pick a place. 
Number three, get rid of distractions. And number four, pray out loud. And I'll just go over these really quickly. Picking a time and picking a place are related to Jesus' teaching, actually, of the, from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, <coughs> excuse me, chapter 6, where right in the beginning of his teaching on prayer, Jesus says, don't be like hypocrites who love praying, standing in the synagogues and on street corners, um, because you will receive your reward in full if you do that. Instead, you need to, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And he'll reward you with his, with his presence, with, with seeing you. He says, don't do things in public just for, public, for, for, for the sake of being in public. When you pray, pick a place that's secluded, that's away from other things, that's, that's away from distraction. Be intentional about it and do it in secret. That means being able to um, give more of our attention to prayer than sometimes we give. Jesus, I think, would not look at this and say, okay, you can just pray in your car on the way to work. I think he would say, no, like, when you get up, spend some time somewhere secluded in prayer. Because he wants your full attention. He doesn't want partial attention. He wants your full attention to be able to, uh, to, f- to focus on, on who God is and who God calls you to be. So pick a time and pick a place and get rid of distractions or all, all come together in the same place. But praying out loud is something that we can find really awkward. <laughs> and especially if you're with other people, if you're around other people, it can be really awkward. But praying out loud actually helps us to learn how to pray because it, in, it involves more, uh, it involves multi, multi senses. It involves using our mouth. So there's, there's actually a, uh, there's a feeling element to it, but it also involves using our ears. And, um, when we, when we hear, when we speak things, we hear them and it actually helps our brain to, to remember and process them. And so the more that we pray out loud, actually the, the better prayers we're going to become in the long run. It doesn't have to be screaming from the mountaintops. It could be just a low mumble that only you can hear. That's fine. But praying out loud actually helps you to become a better prayer. And so, however you pray this week, you, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to challenge you to pray out loud. Just to yourself. Um, or with other people. Because, you know what? As awkward as you feel praying with other people, the reality is everyone feels awkward. <laughs> And so you might as well just lean into it and everyone just be awkward all the time. It'd be great. Pick a time, pick a place, get rid of distractions, and then use the Lord's Prayer as a guide for your prayer time this week. And pray out loud while you do it. That is our challenge for this week. And even more than that, focus on your daily needs, not the needs that you have far into the future. So the best time to do this might actually be in the morning when you know what needs you have. Or maybe late at night when, when you've sensed needs through the day and you can, you can articulate them very well. But use this prayer 
as a guide to be able to pray, approach God as Father, declare who he is, that his name is holy, his character as you know it, ask for his kingdom to become and his will to be done in your life, ask for daily bread to be given, ask for forgiveness, and ask God to help you forgive those who who you are having trouble forgiving or you who you haven't forgiven so that you can receive his forgiveness. And then ask him to lead you not into temptation, but towards righteousness. And just see how it will calibrate how you live on a day-to-day basis. Because it will. This prayer, if you pray it every single day, if you allow it to guide how you pray, it will change your life and help you experience God's kingdom today as you will in heaven. So that's our challenge. As we go about doing it, let's pray. Heavenly Father, well, I thank you that we get to call you Father. I thank you that you are holy and set apart and gracious and compassionate. I thank you that you sent your Son to us and Jesus, that you, uh, that you left the heavens to come to earth for our sake. To show us how much you love us and to invite us into the life of heaven by your grace. Father, I ask that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, beginning with my life and beginning with our lives in our church. I ask that as we seek this to to engage this challenge of using the Lord's Prayer throughout this week to guide our prayers, that your will would be done through us. For whatever our needs are for this week, Father, I pray that um, that you would give us of our needs, our daily bread or any other needs that come up. We know that you already know them. And so, Father, I pray that you would meet those needs. And I also pray, Father, that you would help us to see places where we have not forgiven others, where we have withheld our forgiveness, maybe because we haven't really known the fullness of your forgiveness yet. And so help us to to experience the fullness of your forgiveness primarily through forgiving other people. Give us the courage to let go of our hurts and our pain and, um, and to relieve the debt that we think other people owe because of their sins against us. And Father, release us from the debt that we feel from our sins We know, Father, that you are not holding our sins against us, that you have, you have cleared the debt on our behalf on the cross. And so help us to experience your love and your grace and your forgiveness this week. And Father, I pray that you would lead us into righteousness, that is, a right relationship, living a life of justice um, each and every day. 
And Father, bless us as we use this prayer. Shape us into more Jesus-like people. We pray in your Son's holy name. Amen.